the homily for the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. My dear friend, imagine that you are living in your house and you are spending there your afternoon, quiet, calm, and suddenly you hear the sound of machinery, tools, cargo trucks, drills, working just a couple houses away. You get out concerned, and you see that there, just two houses away from you, they're building a gas station. You would be very upset. That would bring a lot of inconvenience to you, and if, if you own your own house, this would cause the value of your house to go down significantly. It would mean all the crimes that happen in gas stations, the traffic that comes with it, bad smells, so many ugly factors that happen. In short, it would destroy your neighborhood. It would destroy your own quality of life. What would you do? You would certainly fight against it. You would go to meetings, maybe join a lawsuit. In cases like this, in other countries, people even protest by going and staying in the construction zone to prevent the companies to continue their project. You would fight with all that you have, because your own house depends on it. Well, my dear friends, permit me to use this example, this analogy, to explain to you why the articles of the creed are so important. My dear friend, the Apostles' Creed is the house where you live. It is where your faith rests. It is this house that you need to keep your eternal life. Now, it might happen that sometimes when you hear a sermon about the articles of the Apostles' Creed, you might get the wrong notion that these things are not necessary to you. You might say, oh, well, I've heard this before. I know these things. It might also happen, my dear friend, that when you're talking to someone, perhaps an acquaintance, and they deny an article of the creed, for you it might not be such a big deal. You might say, it's not such a big deal. You know, they have their opinion. I have my opinion. You know, in the end, we all believe in Christ. You might think, oh, well, if they deny this or that article, not such a big problem. But my point right now, my friends, is that it is a big problem. Think of the example that I just gave you. You would not let your house be destroyed or even be devalued. What about this? The Apostles' Creed is your house in the faith. And if someone comes and they attack just one article, they are attacking your property. They are attacking something that belongs to you, that is necessary to you. You wouldn't rest if someone came and demolished your house or your neighborhood by building a gas station. How can you rest when someone comes and attempts to demolish, excuse me, to demolish an article of your faith in order to build in its stead another monstrosity? You care about your house because you need it for your life. How can you not care about your spiritual house, the house of your faith that you need for eternal life. And so, my dear friends, the next time that you see someone attacking an article of your faith, even if it's just one, remember, they are destroying your house and the houses of many. It is not a harmless situation, but a very grave one. Now, of these articles, one of them that is attacked the most is the beautiful article of the creed that prays, He was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary. You know very well that the virginity of Mary is often attacked by Protestants. 
Today I would like to speak to you about this article of our faith. Now my dear friends, what do we believe regarding this article? Allow me to examine today what we ought to believe about the Virgin Mary. I will mention four points. The first one, the Church holds that the, by divine revelation that the Virgin Mary was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of our Lord. The second point that I will mention is that the Church teaches us that the Virgin Mary is truly, and in the proper sense, Mother of God. The third point that I will mention is that the Church also teaches that the Virgin Mary was conceived without sin, and that she never sinned in her life. And finally, I will speak about how the Church holds the teaching that the Virgin Mary at the end of her life was assumed into heaven. In other words, that her body never saw the corruption of the grave. Now, my dear friends, as I speak of these four things, I could speak of how all of them are a great glory to the Virgin Mary, how they raise her up to the level and of privilege and sanctity that we cannot even understand. But instead of speaking of how this raises up our Blessed Mother, I would like to show you how each one of these points, each one of these privileges of the Virgin Mary, is really a throne where God sits. I mean to say, it is a great glory to God, a great praise to God. It becomes an argument of His excellence and His perfections. And I want to tell you these things, my dear friends, so that the next time that your Protestant friend accuses you of putting too much in, Virgin, in the Virgin Mary and diminishing or neglecting the glory of God for her sake, you can show them that all the glories and privileges of Mary are actually for the greater glory of God and for his sake, for his praise and, and perfection. Let me then cover each one of these points briefly. The first one. The Church tells us that the Virgin Mary was a virgin before, during, and after the birth. That means to say that she did not know St. Joseph before the birth of our Lord. They didn't have a relationship as husband and wife do. It means also that during the birth of our Blessed Mother, the natural process that usually takes place in the birth of men didn't take place with the Virgin Mary. The birth of our Lord was entirely miraculous. It was entirely painless. And we say also that after the birth of our Lord, the Virgin Mary did not have any children. At no point did she have any dealings with St. Joseph as married couples usually do. You know all these things, my dear friends. But I'd like to explain to you why is this for the greater glory of God. And the reason is this, the virginity of Mary proves the divinity of Christ. Her being a virgin before proves that Jesus Christ was not the son of a man, but of God. Her virginity during the birth of our Lord proves the excellent purity of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was born clean, physically and spiritually. He was not tainted by original sin, and you see this by the manner of his birth. And her virginity afterwards serves to prove the claims of the purity and cleanliness of Mary before the birth of our Lord. Here is why. You might say, well, why, why would the virginity afterwards prove the purity of our Blessed Mother before? And this is one point that the Protestants argue a lot. They say, well, yeah, she was a virgin before, but not after. 
And that makes no sense because you would not be able to use one argument if you don't have the other. My dear friends, how could we prove the purity and cleanliness of the Blessed Virgin Mary if after the birth of our Lord she had behaved like an ordinary woman? How can I show you that the house was clean if it is now filthy? In order for me to prove that the house has always been clean, it has to remain clean. And in order for us to prove that our Lord was born of a virgin, it was necessary that she always remained a virgin. And so you see here then that the divinity of our Lord is proved by the virginity of Mary. <clears throat> and this leads us, my dear friends, to our second point. Allow us to examine for this moment, for a moment, the article of the creed that we just mentioned. We say in there, Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. And if you read in these words, you will be able to read also the two natures of Christ. Born of the Virgin Mary, born tells us that he was a man, because it is only proper to men to be born. But then when we say born of a virgin, we say and we read that he was also God, because only God could be born of a virgin. Jesus Christ then, my dear friends, is both God and man. And because of this, we also say that the Virgin Mary is truly the mother of Jesus. In the proper sense, not in a figurative sense. It's not a manner of speech. It's not some poetic claim. It is a fact that she is the mother of God. Now let us go to how this prerogative of Mary serves to glorify our Lord. Because of her maternity, we can come to understand who Christ was. Think for a moment, my dear friends, of how necessary this prerogative is for us to understand our Lord. Because on the one side, if our Lord had been born without a, mo a mother, if he had just appeared on earth, we would hesitate, we wouldn't think that he was human. But on the other side, on the other hand, if he had only been born of a mother in the regular way, in the normal way that men are born, we would say that he is no God. What difference is there between you and other men? But because he was born of a human mother, we say that he's human. And because he was born of a human mother that was a virgin, we say that he was God. And therefore, the Virgin Mary, being mother of God, proves and shows to us that he was truly man and truly God. Now allow me here, my dear friends, to give you a little story. I know that I'm not talking very much about the devotion to the Virgin Mary, but you know full well that this devotion is necessary for all Catholics, and when we speak of her prerogatives, it's certainly to excite our devotion. The story that I'm about to tell you proves to us how necessary it is for a Catholic to be devoted to Mary and obviously to the Most Holy Rosary. You know that in the 16th century and before, missionaries traveled to Japan to convert the people of Asia to the true faith. Among them, you know, there were Franciscans, there were Dominicans, and they were successful. Many people in, ja in Japan became Catholic, even some of the lesser kings, you could say. Even the emperor at one point became interested. And many of these Catholics, obviously, if not all, were very fervent of the rosary. But as you know, when Catholicism started taking more and more power, 
or you could say rather it became more popular, a terrible persecution arose in Japan. The politicians, the emperors, the men in power, they were afraid of Catholicism, and they decided to eradicate it from the country. This was one of the most terrible persecutions there, ha there have ever been. The deaths that Catholics were put through were very, very cruel. Things got so ugly that the government actually managed to deport or to kill all the priests in the country until there was none left. Now, this thing that I'm about to say is to prove to you that being a Catholic is the same that praying the rosary is the same that being devoted to Mary. And here's the proof. Once the pagan rulers of Japan managed to expel all the priests, they wanted to create a small copper plate, a small engraving in copper, that would depict perfectly Catholicism. And they wanted to make this so that they could bring it to all the shores, all the beaches of Japan, all the ports. And so every man who would come to Japan would be required to trample, to step upon this engraving, the engraving, you could say, of Catholicism. They would do that so that they would prove that they were not Catholics, and then they would be allowed to enter the country. Well, you know what they thought would be the perfect picture of Catholicism? They made an engraving of the Virgin Mary delivering the rosary to St. Dominic. And behind them stood a multitude of Japanese people, all of them holding the rosary in their hands. This, to the pagan rulers, was a picture of Catholicism. And my dear friends, they were right. Let us now go to the fourth, to the third and fourth point that we mentioned. First, the third. The Church teaches us that the Virgin Mary was free from all sin. She didn't have original sin, that stain that we bring from Adam and Eve, and she was born in the state of grace. Not only that, she never sinned in her life, not even in the slightest manner. Now this point, my dear friends, is also for the glory of God. Because the Virgin Mary, she is the vindication of God's creation of the human race. Think about this for a moment again. To what purpose did God create us all? He created us to sanctify us, to fill us with His divine grace, to take us to heaven for His glory. But my friends, how many of us do this? How many of us are holy? How many graces does God give us that we throw away? I would not exaggerate if I say that most of the graces that God gives us, we throw it away. We don't become holy. And this is not only one or two people, but most of humanity, if not all, we could say the same of all of us. What are we to say then? Are we to say that God failed in his goal? Are we to say that he was not able to succeed in his purpose when creating mankind? Far from us to say so, the Virgin Mary, she is the success of God. She is the pinnacle of our creation. She is the justification of the works of God. If it was only for her, and only for the perfection he put on her, the whole of creation of the human race would be justified for this perfect human being. And so, my dear friends, in the purity of Mary, the omnipotence of God shines. We have one last point. My dear friends, lastly, we have the doctrine that teaches us that the Virgin Mary went straight to heaven and that her body never experienced the corruption, the putrefaction of other dead bodies. Instead, she's in heaven with body and soul. And this also is for the glory of God, 
because by the exaltation of the Virgin Mary, the fidelity of God to His promises receives a true witness. Now that we see our Blessed Mother in heaven, now we know and no one can doubt that God will reward us in heaven. No one can doubt anymore the dogma of the resurrection. No one can deny that the gates of heaven are opened for those who want them, because God has shown us to be true, that there is a human being already enjoying all of these rewards, all of them, and that would be his mother, the sweet Virgin Mary. My dear friends, as we continue Mass today, let us ask our Lord to increase our devotion to the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God. Now you know that if someone denies one article of the Apostles' Creed, or even dares put it into question, this is not a harmless thing. Now you know that if someone denies the virginity of Mary, he's destroying your house. He's wrecking what you need for eternal life. Never fear then to confront them, and especially if they deny this beautiful article of the faith. We as Catholics, we believe that the Virgin Mary was ever virgin, because that proves the divinity of Christ. We believe she was truly His mother, because that upholds the humanity of Christ. We believe she was immaculate, because that attests to the omnipotence of God in His creation. And we believe she was assumed into heaven, because that proves God's fidelity to His promise. And all of these things we summarize when, in, when we say in today's Mass, I believe in Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.